This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We're going to read that passage again from uh, Luke chapter 6. Is this too loud now? From Luke 6, 46 through 49. Let us listen again to the reading of God's word. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock when a flood arose. The river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground. Without it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this day that you have made. We are grateful for the gift of life that enables us to be here. Just to be alive is such a great gift. And so we ask that you would guide and direct our conversation, our thoughts, our meditations, as we hear your word. Guide and direct all we say and do for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you know, my wife and I recently sold our home in Washington State, but we still own a lake cabin or a lake cottage in North Idaho. Soon after we arrived back here in New England a few weeks ago, we received a forwarded letter in the mail informing us that our lake cabin is very likely on a floodplain. I did some checking and found out that floodplain refers to any property that is adjacent to a river or a stream or really any body of water that can at times overflow its banks or in other ways damage a house and or its foundations. The letter went on to say floods are the most common natural disaster in North Idaho. Apparently floods in Kootenai County where the cabin is located are noted for massive destruction from severe storms. It was a, like a five-page letter, and it went on and kept talking about this. And then it went on to describe flooding events in the county, causes of flooding, the wisdom of obtaining flood insurance, and how to reduce risk and damage during a flooding event. event. Well, all this was news to me. As, as you may know, Idaho is inland, although not everyone knows where Idaho is, or even that it's a state. When I was a student here years ago, I used to say, I'm from Idaho, and they would always say, oh, Iowa, I love Iowa, all the corn. <laughs> well, I didn't hold it against them. Actually, someone just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm from Idaho. I, I said, I bet you've never met anyone from, from Idaho. And she said, Iowa, yeah, I've been to Iowa. I don't know how, why that always gets associated. Um, although I've seen Idaho potatoes here in Newburyport. So 
they are, we are around. I've never seen any mass destruction from flooding in North Idaho, especially where our cabin is located. If anything, our biggest concern is not so much too much water, but not enough water. I hate to say this since so many people have experienced terrible flooding, and we read about it all the time in the news everywhere, but sometimes we could actually use a little flooding now and then uh, where our cabin is located, especially because of the tremendous fire danger, forest fire danger, that's true all out in all of the West, as you know, that's burning in California, but it burns in the West every summer and fall and actually spring now. But this letter was a good reminder to me that homeowners need to build a solid home on a firm foundation, a good location, if they hope to avoid serious erosion and potentially major damage. And in our scripture lesson this morning that we read just a moment ago from Luke chapter 6, Jesus also talks about floodplains and the importance of building on a firm foundation. These verses that we read come from what is commonly referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain which is a shorter version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. Luke 6 is called the Sermon on the Plain, not because it was delivered on a Boeing 737, but simply because Jesus delivered the sermon, we are told earlier in Luke 6:17, on a level place, on a floodplain, if you will, rather than on a mountaintop, as in the Sermon on the Mount. As you know, the last few weeks, Sarah, Pastor Sarah has been focusing on this theme of the kingdom of God. And I believe that both Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and his Sermon on the Plain from Luke 6 here describe for us life as it is meant to be lived in the kingdom of God. And in these verses, Jesus highlights for us a very important theme, a very important truth, and that truth is simply this, that in order to be Jesus' kingdom people, in order to reflect the values of the kingdom of God, we must not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, the kinds of things Jesus wants his hearers to do is described for us earlier in this chapter, chapter 6, verses 17 through 45, and unfortunately we don't have time this morning to read that entire chapter. But in those verses, Jesus highlights several things that he wants his disciples, his followers to do. Things like loving our enemies and doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us, praying for those who abuse us. He talks about giving to those or in need. We heard uh, Jeff mention that this morning, you know, giving a ride to the airport. He talks about being merciful and not judging others. He stresses the importance of being willing to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And then he ends up these, this passage by talking about how important it is that we bear fruit in our lives. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard laments the fact that so many people today believe that they can believe in Jesus but not belong to him. 
Listen to what he says, this one passage. He says, actual discipleship or apprenticeship, I love that term, apprenticeship to Jesus, is in our day no longer thought of in any way as in any way essential to faith in him. What Willard is saying, I think, is that we can't really be a Christian, or at least a very effective Christian, if we are not also seeking to be his disciple. If we are not also seeking to also seeking to be his disciple. If we are not also seeking to live as he lived, to love as he loved, to forgive as he forgave, to show compassion as he showed compassion, to help those in need as he helped those in need. It is not enough for us simply to acknowledge Jesus. Our lives must be built well and, and securely fastened to him, firmly attached to his life, to his will, to his priorities. As some of you know, Debbie and I are renting, renting a college in Newbury, on the Parker River. I think I finally got saying that right. I used to say Newberry. Somebody says, no, it's not Newberry, it's Newberry. Is that, is that how it's pronounced? It's on the Parker River. And there, if, you know, if you know the river, there, there have been a number of really cool boats, probably expensive boats. I noticed they were taking them in on Friday. Um, one of the boats is called Miss Molly. Anybody own Miss Molly here? Really cool boat. I was trying to find out what it was called, and one day it just turned it up with my binoculars that I could see it. You know, when we had that recent uh, bomb cyclone of heavy wind last week, or nor'easter, or whatever it was, I kept, I kept looking out in the river to see what was happening to the boats. I wanted to make sure that those cool boats were still there. Not that I could have done anything if they weren't. You know, it's not like I was going to swim out and rescue them if somehow they broke free from their buoys. But it occurred to me that the owners of those boats probably know a thing or two about strong wind, since they have lived here through strong wind for many, many years. And therefore, they have taken great, are securely fastened, firmly secured to the buoy if you, uh, that it was uh, out in the river. It seems to me that in the same way, Jesus says that our beliefs, our actions, our attitudes, our lifestyles must be firmly attached, firmly secured to the buoy, if you will, of his life and his teaching. Otherwise, our efforts to live the Christian life, which we all know sometimes is not easy, tend to make us and our witness less secure, more unstable, more prone to blow away or to erode when the hardships of life come, when the storms of life come, which they inevitably do. Debbie and I were reminded of what can happen when houses are not built well or not built on a firm foundation several years ago when our family was vacationing on the Oregon coast. Any of you been to the Oregon coast? Any of you been to the Oregon coast? Great place to go. If you haven't been there, I'd recommend it. But we came up across a sign on the Pacific Ocean that described a town that used to be there, but now isn't. The town was called Bay Ocean. Anybody heard of Bay Ocean? Bay Ocean was founded, the town was founded in 1906, and at one point, point had a population of 2,000 people, so it was a reasonably good-sized town. 
Bay Ocean apparently had amenities that many similar small towns did not have at that time. Things like a dance hall, an orchestra, a thousand seat movie theater, a bowling alley, tennis courts, swimming pool, paved streets, even a rail system. It also had a beautiful view of Tillamook Bay and the Pacific Ocean. Interestingly enough, the town's demise, it's literally eroding away, it's literally eroding away and falling into the ocean was actually partly the fault of the townspeople themselves. First of all, they built on a lousy location and secondly, the building they did do was not adequate. Apparently, in the early days, the roads into the town were either very poor or non-existent. And the only way to conveniently get into the town of Bay Ocean was to take a steamship. And the last leg of that journey by sea was very treacherous, apparently, so the townspeople asked if a jetty could be built to smooth the way into the bay. The Army Corps of Engineers recommended that two jetties be built, one on each side of the bay. But the townspeople were only willing to pay for one. The one jetty did indeed make for an easier, but having only one jetty rather than two had the unintended consequence of beginning a process of erosion on Bay Ocean's beaches that ate away at the town's very foundation. And it caused the, the ground under the town to erode into the ocean. And as time went on, houses began to crumble. And the last house in Bay Ocean fell into the ocean in 1960. But that was not all of it. it the erosion continued unabated until 1971, when the very last building, an old garage, finally fell into the sea. Virtually all traces of Bay Ocean are now gone. The only thing left is a sign by the side of the road telling visitors that this is where Bay Ocean once stood. It's all that's there. You can, you're just trying to imagine what that would that have looked like. Nothing's there now. And when we saw that sign, I immediately thought of these verses from Luke chapter 6, where Jesus illustrates the folly of building poorly or on a poor foundation as, to pose, as opposed to building solidly on solid rock. These verses remind us that Jesus is not the only foundation we can build our lives on, but he is the only firm foundation. He is not the only one who can anchor our lives, we can anchor our lives to, but is the, he is the only solid anchor, the only solid buoy, if you will. He is the only adequate jetty, if you will, that will keep our faith and our lives not only focused in the right direction, but also keep them from fading away. Jesus says in these verses that when we in these verses that when we seek to live our lives like him, follow his priorities, practice his teachings, we are like a wise man or woman who builds a solid house on a firm foundation that will hold up. But the unwise man or woman are the ones who neglect to build a solid house, who are lax at following Jesus or doing his will, who do not live 
uh, their priorities according to his teachings. The life they build, Jesus says, the house they build, therefore, is unstable and in danger of being washed away, especially when storms hit. I read an article in USA Today this week uh, about former President Jimmy Carter that reminded me of what can be accomplished when we build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus. Carter, as you probably know, recently turned 95, 95. And the article talked about a lot of things in his life, his, his relationship with his wife, and they've been married all these years. And, uh, but the guy who wrote the article, Bruce Lowry, especially focused on all of the good deeds Carter has done, especially since he left office in 1980. Lowry writes this. He says, Carter, whose humanitarian streak knows no end, is an inspiration. He goes on to say, he has, built, he has been building homes with a nonprofit Habitat for Humanity for decades, while taking on scores of humanitarian projects, both at home and abroad. According to Lowry, Carter is now part of a team building new porches on 21 homes in Nashville, porches. Port, apparently this is the in Rosalind Carter work project with Habitat for Humanity, which as you know is a Christian-based organization. We have a, a, we've had a number of our people involved in that. Jimmy Carter was committed to doing this even though he had 14 stitches in his forehead and a black eye. The picture that was, a, that was connected to this article in the paper, he looked like he'd just been in a fight. You know, he had fallen down some stairs or something at home, and he'd been in the hospital, and he just looked awful. But he had a piece of wood in his hand, and he was doing some building. And he's quoted as saying this. He says, my number one priority was to come to Nashville and build homes. But Lowry makes this comment, which is the thing that really caught my attention. He said, Jimmy Carter seems to be driven to do good. Driven to do good. To do good. But what Lowry's article did not mention is the fact that Carter is driven to do good in large part because of his faith in Jesus Christ and his desire to live out his faith as Christ's disciples. I think Jimmy Carter still maybe teaches a weekly Sunday school class at his church, Baptist Church in Plains, or at least until recently. Now, whatever you think of Jimmy Carter's politics or his presidency, and I know people have various opinions, when I read that article, it was an example of someone living out their faith in Christ in tangible ways all throughout their lives. He could have said, hey, I'm 95, I can't do this anymore. But there he was with everyone else building porches. And he has the resources and he's able to do that. But it was, um, it was um, the article really pointed out how long he'd been doing this. Um, but he is someone who seems to be attempting to build not only his life, but all of his life on the solid rock of Jesus. And the world notices. The world notices. Debbie and I had the privilege of attending one of Pastor Sarah's uh, listening sessions last Saturday regarding people's dreams for the future of Old South. 
And as I was sitting there listening to people talk, I was reminded again of the many ways that people in this congregation do put their faith to practice in tangible ways. Things like Sunday sandwiches, Habitat for Humanity, serving meals at Salvation Army, leading worship at Port Healthcare, volunteering time and talents in and out of the congregation in so many ways. But I was also reminded that there is so also reminded that there is so much more that we can do. Frankly, so much more I can do. There are so many more ways we can serve, especially if we all pitch in and serve together. What kind of foundation is your life and faith built on? Is it an adequate foundation? Is it built on the solid rock of Jesus and his teaching, his example, or is it built on something else? Are you truly striving to be a disciple of Jesus, apprenticed to him as best you can with his help and the help of others? Are you seeking to live out the implications of your faith at your work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the community? Frankly, these are questions asking myself all the time, especially as I get older. And I will tell you, I don't always like the answers that I give to my own questions. They are, but these are questions, I think, that are helpful for each of us to ask ourselves individually and collectively as a body of believers. As Sarah mentioned, today is Reformation Sunday. It is a day when we acknowledge uh, and commemorate the contributions of the Protestant Reformation to the church. And as I think about the Re Reformation, I'm reminded that Luther and Calvin and the other reformers were really asking similar kinds of questions. They believed that the church of their day had wandered away from the rock of Jesus and his kingdom message as their firm foundation, and they were following some other message. Therefore, the church was slowly spiritually eroding away. They came to a church could not be the church Jesus envisioned, Jesus was calling it to be, without a firm foundation in Jesus and his teaching as found in Scripture. They also believed that, the church, for, that for the church to be the church God was calling it to be, it could not rely just on the work of a few select people, priests or bishops or religious but all of God's people serving together. They sought to bring the church back to a more solid foundation rooted in the teachings of Christ and the service of all God's people. And it seems to me we need to continue to strive to make this our goal as well. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need your help and your strength. We need your spirit. We need your spirit. Help us to truly serve you as your apprentices in the places where you call us. Thank you for what we've been able to do. Help us to do even more. And so we ask for your blessing on all our endeavors. And
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.